All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the, the fifth episode of Off the Pulpit. I'm Eugene. I'm Jason. I'm Tom. Uh, we're three pastors and three friends conversing on life, church, and culture off the pulpit. Uh, quick shout out. Thank you, everyone that's been listening. Um, I have at least been kind of surprised on how many numbers we're getting. Um, if you could subscribe on Apple or Spotify, that could help us. Um, if you could rate, share too, that would help us with all the episodes coming out. Also, quick announcement. Um, we do have kind of a special episode coming out next week. I know usually it's every other week, but we were able to get Dr. Jonathan Lehman to come on to our podcast. If you didn't know, he is a theologian at large uh, for Nine Marks and also an elder at a church and kind of an expert in politics. And a lot of our own episode on politics uh, honestly came from him. So really excited to uh, record that. We're hoping to uh, publish that either the day before the election or the day after. We're not sure yet, but just keep posted for that. Um, But for today, we've had pretty... uh, heavy topics for the last two weeks um and not that this isn't heavy but we just kind of want to have a little looser topic just to talk a little more friendly um and just candid uh, we just want to talk about worship um praise christian music singing and the reason why i'm excited to do this is because we have a very special expert on the like tom is the the reader of the group i am the uh the culture consumer but jason is an ex-professional artist professional worship leader and now a lead pastor so i'm really excited to do this so much pressure <laughs> too and much pressure the uh, song you heard for our intro is from jason's old band Ooh. so I, I wait were you were you a youtube star too no i was uh i i predated youtube myspace star <laughs> myspace yes you're on myspace right? yeah Just, yeah we were on myspace um like you we our band was kind of like tail end of the band when youtube started becoming a thing so you we, missed the the train yeah we missed the train like you're right before wang fu basically yeah the benefit of that though is that there aren't as many opportunities to go on youtube and cringe you know at mm. all the old videos but oh. there, there's a part of me that feels like this new generation they don't really care as much about that you know like, like it's about, just like their past you mean yeah, it's such a part. It feels like it's such a just a part of life now. I think it would have been hard for me right now. I, w- I would have been as soon as I became the lead pastor. I would have been on YouTube, <laughs> scrubbing everything. scrubbing everything. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't know, uh, Jason's old band is called Miss Vintage. I don't cringe. I think it's a really good band. Um, but yeah, so we we have an expert. We don't. It's not an armchair worship leader, but an actual worship leader and uh, music musical artist before. <laughs> Um, but before that, yeah, I guess maybe um, for us, and Jason, you a little more detail and kind of your journey into worship and music too. Um, what what are your guys' kind of background um, in worship and, and praise, if any, for you guys growing up in the church? I have zero, Wait. absolutely nothing. Wait, oh, although, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I did. I don't know if you know this, Jason. I did. I was the, the worship leader at my church for four weeks once. Four weeks? Four weeks, yeah. And, so then was, hap- and then what happened? Oh, then our praise leaders came back. But it was a, <laughs> it was a period of four weeks. They were on an on a mission trip, and they had no one who could lead worship. And they heard that I played like guitar, and I played literally for a year. And so it was bad. And people who visited, like there are newcomers, they thought I was like the worship leader. 
and they came for like you know two weeks straight and i was there again and it was bad man so that's my one experience with worship and never they never asked me again uh, hey that experience still counts so we have we have one worship leader um, uh, yeah. so yeah 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 that, that counts four weeks counts um jason maybe you can give a little more a detailed background into like kind of your journey into music and worship as long as i can remember not only was worship a part of just my own spiritual growth but it's always been serving in worship teams and serving in music has always been kind of an integral part of my church experience um i think i started uh playing in our church praise team as the drummer uh when i was in sixth grade and um I, uh, you know, played drums, was never really like, a, never thought I was going to be a worship leader. Um, I picked up guitar a little bit later on um, in life, and um, I just happened to start attending a church in high school where our youth pastor was like this guitar virtuoso. Um, I'm pretty sure he's not listening, but Pastor Jerry, if you're out there, you changed my life. Um, and you know, he was like a classical guitar major and that was actually a part of his ministry. The way he Mm. brought so many youth students in was like, he knew how to play everything and all the popular songs on the radio. And so I remember, you know, um, playing drums for him. Uh, he used to lead praise and preach. So he was kind of like, did both. And he was like, like a role model mentor to me taught me everything I knew and I really um, credit him a lot as someone who put me in who gave me opportunities and and put me in in a place to to lead worship you know I was horrible when I was in high school Um, you know and that's when the songs were like Lord I lift your name on high classic and yeah (laughs) shout to the Lord Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I remember listening to like uh, a recording of myself and it was really rough, um, but he still gave me opportunities to lead and, and through all those experiences, developed a love for worship music um, and music in general. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the rest was kind of history because I, I kept leading worship in college, post-college, um, and then went on to become the worship director at sovereign grace which is now citizens and so 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 did you lead worship during like the overhead projector days oh yeah 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 yeah. those were the best days yeah you saw the hand like on the the silhouette of the hand (laughs) yeah and if you were like a really good overhead projector person (laughs) like you knew how to like move it at just the right time so you only saw the words yeah and that's when life was so much easier because you know you would get to church and then like just go through the projector box and like pick out songs and if you didn't have the song you'd write them with like a sharpie yeah <laughs> you know it was good times yeah, this was pre-technology so. dude half our leader uh, readers are gonna be so confused or listeners are gonna be so confused <laughs> but did you ever lead praise ej no i oh yeah for me i uh i led two weeks so uh uh kind of like tom so yours uh, is like my career it was worse but uh, <laughs> so i i really wanted to be on worship team but because mm. i grew up in the church but it like you know, I was just like they get all the the chicks. That's what I remember growing up. 
So I remember I really wanted to, and and the youth pastor let me go on for two weeks, and I was so bad that like they just uh, they just pulled me without telling me the next. Like I came ready the third week, and there was another guy just there like leading praise. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I kind of got the the gist of what was being said. So what I did was I channeled that uh, sadness and anger, and I actually started learning how to play bass. Um, so I grew up playing bass. Yeah, ever since. I was kind of in middle school, uh, growing up in church, and then I kind of did that until right before I was married to even a little bit JLMC with Tom too. Given that, I just to, I guess feel out like for our listeners, our our feel of of who we are as worshipers, not just as pastors. Real quick, who, what's your favorite worship song, and what's your favorite worship band? Like just off the top of your head, I don't I don't know what my worship favorite worship band or song is but i remember mm-hmm. the first worship band i got into it was uh and this is gonna date me it was a uh, jars of clay that was <laughs> yeah. that was my band dude classic hey man that first one that first album they had yeah so man. good yeah so good i that, used to uh i think that's that's the, the their music actually got me interested in christianity more yeah i remember that Christian. that album was huge because flood was playing on yeah K-Rock. yeah yeah you know yeah, you know, all, all the Christians were excited that mm-hmm. like a Christian band could make it on secular radio. For me, that band, the you know that first band that like really got me was Delirious. Hey. Mm. And I think Martin Smith is still at it to this day. Um, nice with Delirious. Are they still together? No, no, I don't think oh, they're okay, together. Okay. But yeah, it, it's hard for me to to identify like a favorite band because it they've changed so much. Sure. Um, over the years, and and the bands that like I loved even five years ago, uh, listening back now they feel so dated. Yeah. You know, um, it's I feel like it's it's hard to stay kind of relevant, um, which yeah. is why for all the you know flack they get, you got to say like bands like Hillsong, um, that have kind of withstood the test of time. Machines. They're machines. You know. Um, and, and they're still pumping out music that is, you know, relevant to the culture, um, right now. It's dropping, if I'm honest, in quality. Hillsong was, I, I guess, kind of dating me, not as old too, but Hillsong United, when I was around when they first, like, I was in church when they first got together and started releasing their albums, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, it's Christian music that isn't, like, did you feel the mountains tremble, delirious? Apologies, Jason, but... <laughs> Um, it seems a little more modern, so I liked it. I almost even applied to Hillsong College to um, for their bass or you know instrument program because I was like, I memorized all the band names. I remember my dream. I wrote out in like high school, like my my goal freshman year was to get on the Hillsong Church Band because I was like just so ingrained into that, like uh, their music and stuff. Um, but we're gonna have a lot of loose conversations about this topic, as you can tell, and go a lot of places. But first, as pastors, uh, I, to kind of answer some theological questions first. One question I always had in my mind was why why do we sing on Sundays in church? Like, cause you can come in. Why don't we dance? Why don't we like? I don't know. Why don't we do poetry? Why don't we paint? Why is it that most Orthodox churches on all spectrums have a portion of singing in their Sunday service? Like, what's the emphasis and importance in that? Presence is through song. The easiest theological answer to that is that, you know, that God tells us to. Um, He tells us so many times over and over again in his word to sing. And um, I don't think it's an accident that uh, the Psalms are the, you know, 
take up the, the, the largest portion of scripture. And I think if you take that idea of God's like constant emphasis on singing in his word with his constant emphasis on remembering in his word, um, I'll, I think that there's a connection there between singing and remembering. And so, you know, when we gather as a church, one of the things um, I tell our congregation all the time is that the purpose of why we gather is ultimately to remember, to recall, to rehearse the greatest story ever told, right, which is the gospel. Um, and I believe that singing is a means by which we do that extremely effectively. Um, mm. y- all three of us have kids we know the power of music. We know that before our kids can say full sentences, they can recite the words to every Disney song they've ever Baby seen. Shark, Coco Melon, shout yeah. It, it's shocking to me sometimes, even the the vocabulary they learn um, just through song. Very and true. I think there's something about singing that does that. You know, singing yeah. helps us to remember words, helps us to remember stories. To recall images, and and I think that um, because we're a forgetful people, you know, the Bible tells us we're constantly forgetting who God is, what He's done. We're forgetting what the gospel is. We need opportunities to remember and reflect, and singing helps us do that. It sparked something in my mind, Jason, the great theologian, Chance Rapper, but I think he got it from Augustine. Said, um, "Singing is praying twice." That this idea that it's not only I, I think remembering is very true because like. For me, one of my favorite hymns is in Christ alone. And it's not just because of the music, but the words, like when I sing it, it like evokes something into my soul that I, I already knew, you know, the, like logically, but experientially it changes it. And I also think like everyone knows this. Like when I go to concerts that aren't Christian, especially it's, it's a spiritual experience that like people want, like it's weird. Like, you know, I remember being at a, uh, a Mumford and Sons concert and you know, everyone's a little high. So like, it probably has to do with it, but like they all have their hands up and they're all like, like some people were crying too. And I was like, Oh, there's something spiritual about singing that kind of unlocks something in your heart. Um, so now that, you know, we sing a lot. Um, and I think that we have probably worship leaders, uh, listening and people on the worship team. You know, one question I always get is like, what makes a good worship song? And also on the flip side, what makes a bad worship song so like you know how he loves is like a great debate of that too of like is it a good song is it a bad song and i think we all we all three of us will probably have different perspectives so i'm really interested to hear but like for you guys personally like what you know as a lead pastor like what makes a good worship song and what makes a bad worship song in your own opinion wait are you guys team unforeseen or team sloppy wet Please define that. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> no, how he loves. Remember, you know, you know what he's talking about in the lyrics. There's no, a lyric. The original lyric is "sloppy wet kiss." What? When heaven, when heaven, <laughs> when heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. Yeah, but oh. David Crowder, uh, in his oh, rendition of it, changed, changed it to "unforeseen kiss." Wait, who's who's the original writers of that song? John Mark McMillan. Oh, okay. Whoa. Great artist, by the way. I've never heard that. Yeah, and there's there's a ongoing debate about that, you know. So I, I in my eyes, I don't think you should sing the song at church. I'm team know how he loves for a lot of reasons, <laughs> which maybe we'll get into a little bit. But I think if you sing it, I actually think you should sing "Sloppy Wet Kiss," because 
I'm all about like you have to, uh, honor honor the artist. Yeah, kind of like it's the the artist had an intention to to write that song the way he or she did, and I like when people start like tinkering with lyrics that way. I it kind of like it kind of takes away from the 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 essence of that song. But I don't know, Jay, yes. you're the songwriter too, so I, I don't know. You might have differing opinions. Totally agree. Totally agree. If you sing it, you have to you have to sing sloppy wet. But by virtue, because of that, I will never sing. Or you know, I think our church sings it, but I would, I would, I would not want to in my perfect world. But yeah, what what makes a good worship song and a bad worship song for you guys? Um, I think right off the bat, um, it has to be singable. Um, and when I say that, I guess there, the, you know, that's very that's relative, and I think um, some generations and some congregations are. Um, they can sing more difficult things than others. Like I remember listening mm-hmm. to something by Mike Cosper um, talking about Sojourn um, Church. And when, I remember listening to some of their music and I was like, how do people actually sing to this? But actually in his congregation, in his context, their entire church was singing to it. And so um, in that sense, I would say singable for your church you know, for your congregation, for your community, because I think you almost lose the purpose of worship when people aren't singing together. Um, I think, you know, to add on to kind of what I was saying before, I think one of the um, primary reasons why we sing is is that singing unites the gathered church. It's an opportunity um, for the church to remember that we're not just passive consumers we're not just there to listen to a good sermon but we're there actively engaged in actively participating in worship Um, and if you can't sing the songs you know whether they're too difficult to sing or they're they're all over the place um, melodically um, i think you actually lose that and then we just become an audience and so um, I would say that's a big kind of litmus test. Can your congregation mm-hmm. even sing the song? It's like movies, right? Like movies, when you watch it, it's entertaining and it has to be watchable. Like I just saw Tenet and like, dude, that is, I just don't get what's going on. Like, oh. like Nolan did not care who understood him. He just did his thing. And I think that was a movie for him. And so when I watch movies, you know, can you enjoy it in the moment? Uh, but then the movies you watch again are the movies that you actually realize have substance, and that's where like the lyrics and the content comes in. So you kind of go back to those movies, uh, and I think with songs as well, like obviously you know singability almost makes it palatable. Like the movie Tenet is not palatable; it's just deep concepts that just don't translate well. Uh, Ooh, but hot takes, I'm loving this. But uh, but then when you actually have a, mo- a a movie that you could trek with, but also there's something deep about it, then that's when you could actually have a song that is meaningful and you don't mm. just like jace j- jumping off what jason's saying it's not just something you remember but it could actually shape you because you remember it and so yeah. versus if it's like shallow lyrics like that's not going to shape you that deeply so sure. yeah yeah and and I, one caveat like i think a lot of people confuse singability with predictability like that songs should be dumbed down and there should be uh, zero what's an example of a song being dumbed down like it's not musically complex enough, you mean? Or are you talking about the lyrics? No, no. Like, like I think, I think when we say singable, um, and so when people write worship songs, I think sure. they they try to pump out worship songs like 
cookie cutter, you know, uh, uh, you know, use like a formula, Caleb? use a template, um, then that should be that should be good. And so I, I don't agree with that. You know, I, I do believe in the artistry of songs. And so I, is that why you don't like like the early 90s? Like Lord, I lift your name and high. Like, is that what you mean by like there's like kind of a formula that's there? Yeah, although back then I thought that was the jam, you know. So, <laughs> but, but it did work back then. Right? It did work back then. In yeah. the context, that was fresh and new. Like, oh, there's a bridge. Like, this is crazy. But now, like, bridges and Hillsong drops are like that's kind of like oh, it's it's every other song. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Hmm. Interesting. To kind of segue, what makes a good worship leader, and what makes a bad worship leader in your guys' eyes? As a non-worship leader, you know, I come from the perspective of just someone who observes and who's yes. part of the congregation. I always felt a good or a good worship leader is somebody I do not notice. Yes. Like I don't, I'm not looking at them and that could go both ways. You're either so good that I'm just looking at you because you're just like going off the, like just, you know, performing or you're so bad <laughs> or you make mistakes that I'm just <laughs> glancing at you. Like, but when I don't notice you and I'm just able to worship and focus on God, to me, I, I look back and go, oh, that, that person actually brought it. Like, that was really good. So that's usually my gauge, not for a good musician or a good artist, but a good worship leader, which I think there, it is, there's a difference between the two. And so I always felt like that was a nice, simple gauge for me is I didn't notice the person and I was just worshiping God. Yeah, like, I think a good worship leader, like, every Sunday should be someone that, like, their voice is like average or even maybe below average kind of like there's people that come into my mind. I don't want to say, cause I, I put, I put it that way, but I, I love being led in worship by these people that I don't think like if they recorded would have amazing yeah. voices because I'm like, I can just worship in that moment. Like, I don't need to, you know, there's some dudes and some girls where I'm like, like, dang, like Shiri is really good. And that's all I'm thinking about. And I think in conferences, I love having that cause it's kind of a bigger moment. But I, 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 yeah, I really enjoy people that kind of just like, I don't, I don't want to say it in like a, a rude way, but the average Joe in, in terms of like singing, because I think it also evokes a different way they lead too. I also think bad worship leaders, like the worst worship leaders that I know, it's not the people that are bad musically, but it's the people that like took themselves too seriously on stage. And I'm just like, yo, like I can't, I can't worship, you know, I can, maybe if I was at a concert, I'd appreciate this. Um, but yeah, those are, those are my two sons. Man, I, I would kind of disagree with that, like in terms of um, our first fight. Yeah. <laughs> For real, five episodes in. <laughs> like, I don't mind if, if, you know, I actually would prefer my worship leaders to be really gifted. Um, that said, yes, I, I agree that I think um, to be a good worship leader, in some sense, gifting isn't enough. And I mm. do think... Um, I can immediately, it's, it's a real visceral thing and it's hard to actually even put into words, but I think there are people who do lead us, you know, like it with, you know, small, small decisions that they make, um, you know, either leading us with their voice, mm. um, you know, leading us with certain verbal cues that are tasteful, um, leading us in the way that they kind of take us, you know, in, in some ways, right? Uh, like I've always seen a worship set, a song set, uh, in the same way that, you know, a pastor uh, prepares a sermon, you're really taking 
um, a congregation from point A to point B. You're taking them on on this little journey. And so, like, I think there are better tour guides than others, right? There are mm. um, people who know how to do it um, in a way that makes you feel safe, makes you feel um, like I think there are people who I hear them leading and I'm anxious the entire time where, you know, uh, I don't know what's coming next. I feel always a little bit lost in the worship set. You know, I don't know. You know, I'm I'm almost afraid to sing sometimes because I I don't know exactly where we're going next. And I think the best worship leaders that I've personally been led by are people who like make me feel confident to sing. And and this is going back to the whole singability thing. You know, if one of the primary things we want from worship songs is to help people sing together and help unite the gathered church together then you would hope that a worship leader would do that. For bad worship leaders, I would say one of the the biggest things, um, my personal pet peeves are worship leaders who have their own private worship moment on stage by themselves. Um, (laughs) What's what's an example of that? You know, like they'll, and, you know, and I don't want, you know, I, I don't want this to sound like I'm, judging them or downplaying like the moment they're having sure because sure. sometimes they just they're like they're feeling something and they're uh, you know they're feeling it and they kind of go off into their own world and they forget that there's this entire congregation of people kind of watching them and taking their cues from them and so they'll go off into their own stratosphere and they're doing their worship thing like they're worshiping in their bedroom yeah um, and it, and you can't follow them anymore. So and, I, you bring up an interesting point. Is it, are you saying like worship leaders almost they can't worship fully? And I, I guess I'll caveat that by saying like they need to recognize that your main job at that moment is not to t- necessarily personally worship, but to lead this group of people in front of you to worship. Is that is that a a, a fair way to put it? Kind of. Like in some ways, yes. I would say yes. You know, in, in in some ways, like you would hope that the people leading worship, they are, they're there already. Yeah. You know, gotcha. um, and then they're they're they're. You know, I I always give the analogy. They jump in the water, and they're telling you the water's really nice. Come on in. You know, and something we did with our team, actually, um, last. You know, when we recorded uh, our album. Um, our hymn album last year is for an entire year um, at the end of our Thursday night rehearsal, we closed our time uh, with a time of worship and we would sing Mm. the same song every time it was be thou my vision um, at the end of every rehearsal. And something I told the team was this is our worship time. Interesting. You know, um, this is the time that, you know, we're going to plug ourselves into the life source. This is the time when we're not, necessarily thinking we don't have to think about the people we're leading and this is our time to worship and then on sunday understanding that we're worshiping then as well but we're also there to serve in a very specific way i really like that so it's almost like let's worship thursday so that we can lead worship on sunday mm-hmm. oh nice i wish more teams would do that we had a guy who was like leading us in worship and he you know let's pray prepare our hearts and then he just started singing 
and everyone's trying to follow along, but no one knew like what song it was or what the, cause the lyrics were on there. And I was, you know, I was, I was like, what's going on? And I went to the PowerPoint person and she was like, I think he's just singing his own song. And like, it's like, oh, that's like the perfect example of a guy. He forgot he's leading. He's just doing his thing, man. That's yeah. what, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Like and, and you know, like, honestly, like sometimes you got to know, like, hey, they're, they're not feeling it right now. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. So don't go there, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, kind of understanding, uh, you know, understanding where your people are at. Like read, read the room. And read the, the room. Yeah. Jason, what's the most embarrassing moment you had leading worship? I mean, I've had many. Um, I haven't had a like a catastrophic fail. Nothing like, like worship fails. No, yeah. I, they'll go in there. I, I don't think I've had anything that was worship fails worthy. Um, though I've witnessed many of them. Um, <laughs> Did you have any crazy ones, Did you? I've had moments where I observed pretty crazy things in worship. During my charismatic conference times, like those times were crazy because, you know, the, in charismatic worship, if you don't know, like, and you aren't not part of that, it's like there, you can do whatever you want to do, kind of. it's That's part of your worship experience. So I remember at one point, people started coming up on stage because like they just wanted to worship with us. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm just playing my bass. Wait, and, what? It's, and it's like, it's, we're playing a fast song. So I was like, okay, cool. So the thing is we're at a hotel room and we're on rafters, like risers, uh, like a, like kind of blocks of these to kind of put us up on a stage. There's at least 80 high school kids just running off the stage. And like, what are they like doing on the stage? They're just jumping up and down like while we're playing. And I look down and the boards start cracking. And I was like, yo, we got to stop. And then one portion of the kids just disappeared. And I was like, oh my gosh, like we have to stop. I was playing bass. But the pastor was like, no, like this is the spirit of God. We got to keep worshiping. So I was like, holy cow. So that was... That was that was my wildest moment that I've had, like leading worship. Jason, what was it? What was the most embarrassing? Or Tom too? Like what no, was the most got, embarrassing? When you go moments? when you go to a reformed church, you don't see that stuff, dude. That's you, true. You yeah, you don't see every that day stuff. is just him. It's, it's just hymns, man. It's as liberal <laughs> as you get. I had a similar experience as you, Eugene. Um, <laughs> like one time, uh, I was playing in a band with a guy playing electric guitar. He got really into the song and tried to spin the electric guitar around <laughs> his neck. <laughs> and if uh, you know there weren't strap locks on it so the guitar uh flew off his body and literally you know you know those like um tv shows where something goes through a wall and then it actually creates an exact the exact shape of the thing that went through the wall his electric guitar literally went through the wall and there was it was like in the shape of an electric guitar so that was one wait did worship keep going like did it stop <laughs> yeah happened? worship kept going <laughs> you know because that that always happens like last night of the retreat yeah you know, yeah yeah when nobody cares what's going on um he was devastated though um yeah so definitely have have seen that uh, also had a mo had a time when um a guy in our band jumped off the stage onto a table because he got really into it too and he had those moments he cracked the table in half um and just landed on his back but kept playing which was pretty <laughs> ridiculous but you know gotta give him credit for that he like it was there was like a huge electric guitar solo part 
and uh, he still played it, and he still uh, <laughs> from he the still ground executed from the ground. So, wow. dude, that's that's props. That's more like impressive than embarrassing to me. <laughs> wow, I'm sure we have. If you if you want to know any embarrassing stories, there's an Instagram account called Worship Fails. It's awesome. It's you should best. follow it. It's the best. Uh, if you grew up in the church, you need to follow it. But um, I guess going into more of, of the broader range of worship itself as a culture, um, like so. What what are the different tribes of like worship culture that you see in the uh, maybe American evangelical church um, that you've observed? Um, I think it might be helpful for our, our listeners that kind of like Tom, just kind of in one zone of worship um, or one mode of worship. But what are, what are the different tribes that you guys see um, in your own eyes? You know, you have the churches. I'm going to speak primarily from just the context that I've been a part of. You have the churches that are singing the Hillsong elevation bethel um you know a little bit more contemporary worship music i think you have the churches that are fully you know hymns um you know a lot more you know just they're singing either the psalmody or 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 just hymns um i think you have churches that are you know everything in between that as well um and i i I don't always think that it's um, kind of the worship style of a church or a culture uh, reflects the theology of the church per se, but I think a lot of times it does. Hyper-reformed Orthodox churches tend to gravitate more toward hymns, um, and I would say maybe broader evangelical churches um, to the other side. But that's a, that's a huge generalization, and I don't think that's always true. But from my experience, um, that has been true. What did what did the charismatic churches sing? I mean, they're they're all like Bethel or like a, a lot of the music coming out of IHOP. Yeah, IHOP. IHOP's yep. really big. So mm-hmm. I, w- I was a part of that worship scene. So in my eyes, like kind of like going up, Jason. I see, I see kind of. So I see different way. I see like the small church vibe where I think yeah. in that setting. You're not really a worship culture, but you're just kind of doing what you got to do to like get by. And, and that makes sense. Like you'll sing anything almost, mm-hmm. um, just to kind of appease the congregation, to put it in, in a blunt way. Um, so you'll sing Hillsong, you'll sing hymns, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, outside of that, I see like kind of like what Tom mentioned: hyper reformed churches are only hymns um, and hymns only, one acoustic guitar. Um, it's weird though because they're like super hip people usually like doing that in those settings, but like all they do is just hymns minimal instruments kind of cold dead but like really lyrically rich in that worship i also see the mega church uh vibe hillsong elevation kind of what jason mentioned where it's kind of weird where they're like charismatic but more about the performance and quality which i appreciate because they put up good music usually Mm -hmm. um and then the charismatic camp which is if you haven't been a part of a charismatic worship conference or a true like Bethel service. Like that's a whole nother world with different subcultures too. Um, I've been in worships where like people are flag dancing. Um, you always need the flags. Yeah. You always need the flags. There's people painting on the side usually cause they're like prophesying while they worship. Um, people are going wild, praying in tongues and that worship though. One thing I do enjoy when I look back is like spontaneousness of like worship of just like the leader kind of, Hey, we're going to sing another song. Like it did 
work sometimes where I was like, oh, I'm really worshiping. Um, and it's not so rigid, which I appreciated. Um, so that's kind of like the... the Those are the, the four basic tribes huh, amongst Asian American It's like you have your, that small ghetto EM congregation, the yep. reformed tribe, and broad evangelical like churches that have a certain number, they try to be big. And then you have like the charismatic tribe. That's pretty much it, right? I yeah. think so. There's also like a kind of a like a niche like hipster tribe yeah, yeah, yeah. that tries to yeah. be like th- that that sings all hymns, but they sing it with yeah. That's, that's what I was trying to mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it's, sing it's, with it's an acoustic a, that... and a banjo and like a, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like overalls, you know I mean? right? Yeah, overalls. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there, there's yeah. like a there, there's a small yeah, but but basically four broad tribes. Yeah, that are there. And the music almost reflects that. Mm-hmm. So why? So one question I have is like, why is it that? Do you guys think it's possible to take the best out of each tribe, or you just kind of got to pick your poison? Because I'm always in the boat that I think reformed churches, the f- reformed tradition of worship has the best lyrics, but the worst arrangements. Um, like, I don't, I don't get moved to be honest when I'm singing a lot of these hymns because it's like so many different notes and like, you know, whatever. But then the other side of like Elevation and Hillsong aesthetically and the the vibe and the structure and, you know, just the song and the instruments they're using, I really appreciate. But the lyrics, questionable at best, heretical at worst, right? So do you guys think there could be a melding of the worlds or do you think it's just you got to live with what you got to have, which is those, those are the four tribes? I personally think there can be. I actually don't mm. like the thinking that there is a right, necessarily sure. a right proper way to worship. Um, I think that actually each camp offers something really beneficial to the body and necessary. Uh, and I think you described that perfectly. I think, you know, each of the camps I think could learn something from the other. Yeah. Um, and I would love to see kind of more churches embrace you know i think a lot of times we do throw the baby out with the bathwater. like we we make a huge generalization and then take nothing from a certain camp when i think um every camp can offer something really beneficial for us in in helping our congregation worship do you think it's better that churches stay in their lane and kind of focus or they should like on their particular thing and they just appreciate what other churches do or do you feel like they should meld it in their church hmm uh, stay in their lane sounds harsh to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like LeVar Ball. <laughs> but if like, if I were ever hired, like to be a worship, like, let's say a consultant for a church, I, I think one thing that I would encourage all churches to do is, yeah, like I think, uh, embrace who they are, embrace who their congregation is, understand yeah. what, you know, where their gifts are, what their limitations are, and craft a um, a worship culture around that to not try to be something that they're not. And so I think even in doing that, I think you can still meld um, a lot of these different, like the, the, the great things of a lot of these different tribes together. I think you can bring in a lot of things, but I think the way that they might manifest in a certain type of community uh, would be different than you know another you know who i thought had it for like a year was mars hill i think what they were doing with dustin uh, kenzeru if you guys didn't know he's he's uh the lead lead up 
lead for thrice a secular band that's really big but i thought they had it for a moment where i was like this is robust reformed good theology and lyrics with great arrangement and music but dang mark driscoll like ruined the whole experience for me but uh anyways you're gonna I edit guess, that or <laughs> hey i'll add that in we're not big enough shout out to mark driscoll wherever you're oh, you're in arizona shout out um segueing that i so one thing you mentioned was like kind of so sticking to your to your context which i have a bigger question i think and i remember tom telling me that i think you and tom talked about this too what does it mean then to have worship for asian americans because I do think we are our own context and culture. And in my mind, when I think of the white church, I think of Hillsong, I think of Elevation, right? When I think of the black church, I think of rich gospel music. Do you think there is an Asian American type of worship that we can produce? And if so, like, what would that look like in your guys' eyes? Well, that was a fascinating conversation we had, Jason, back like a few years ago. And mm-hmm. I could describe like maybe the what I see the problem is and maybe I'm not sure if you mm. see more problems or a solution but a lot of Asian American churches they don't have like a distinct Asian American voice in like especially with praise like you mentioned like gospel lyrics or gospel music or Latino uh, praise but Asian Americans they don't really have that and the feeling I have is because Asian Americans we're pretty much the equivalent of cover song artists where we're not we're kind of covering songs that majority major white evangelical churches and bands are doing. And you know, nothing's wrong with being a cover artist. That's great. And it sounds good, but there's not like that passion behind the music, you know, there's, cause you're, you didn't write the lyrics. You're not, there's not, there's not, you're kind of adopting and playing someone else's song. And so there's not really, it kind of limits kind of who you are into that music. And so, and I think you can't really describe it, but you kind of feel it where mm. Asian Americans, they're playing, it's like a cover song concert, um, but in worship form. And that hmm. does something, you know, it does something where you're not going to, versus the artist who writes their own song when they're actually playing, people can kind of just feel and resonate like this artist is actually, you know, playing with passion and they believe in what they're singing. Yeah. And so I feel like that's like kind of the problem. Like we're doing a bunch of it's cover like, songs. We're not, and because of that, in a way, we're not worshiping in the fullest experience that we can. Yeah, I yeah, I, I think he's onto something there too. I totally feel that because there's not any major Asian American like Christian artists, right? Like I don't know of many, and so and you know, so even like broad evangelical, like you have white artists doing it, and people cover it, and still like at least their culture that they're maybe doing like the same lyrics with, but we don't really have that, and so we're just kind of emulating what we see that's a little bit culturally distant from us. So something feels off at times with that. Yeah, I agree. And I think it speaks to, in some ways, um, Asian Americans and our the way we've navigated society in general, I would say, mm. like, uh, you know, on a larger scale. I think um, a lot of times we've um, attempted to assimilate um, into white culture, white majority culture. Um, you know, you have the model minority. um myth happening you have you have all these different cultural forces that have infiltrated the church and i think um we've shied away from developing our own identity and i think it's often been safer to adopt um someone else's culture as our own um and i you know and tom really tom brings a great point in terms of even lyrically 
Mm. You know, when you listen to gospel music, you know, a, a lot of uh, gospel songs that are being sung today, they're either uh, adopted from or they're literally straight up spirituals um, that they sang, um, you know, during the slavery era. Um, so there are specific themes um, that resonate so deeply and so viscerally um, for the African-American community. I think, you know, um, and there are, I think you see the same things in, um, you know, white evangelical churches as well and the music that's coming out of them. And I think that um, Asian Americans also have a unique experience, but we haven't really seen that expressed in song yet. You know, there are yeah. themes that I think we, that are, I would say, unique to our culture and our experience um, that you just haven't, we're not singing because we haven't written much. And it's interesting because, you know, um, I always felt a good definition of like music because music is under a broader umbrella of art. Mm -hmm. And I always love like Tolstoy when he, his book, What is Art? He says, art, it's not just something that's beautiful aesthetically, but art is actually, you know, you have art when it conveys emotion. Mm -hmm. The emotion of the artist of what he's trying to put forward, it actually transfers over to the recipients of that artwork. And yeah. that's when art is actually pure and art is actually working. And music in itself is a medium of art that God uses to communicate who he is to his people. But when the artists are not resonating with emotionally with what they're doing or singing, then the people are also not going to resonate with that as well. And naturally, if you're doing, again, like cover songs or things that you're not really resonating with, it kind of misses and doesn't, you don't really capture what's actually happening in the lyrics or what worship is supposed to be. And so something's kind of missing, I think, at times in the Asian American church. I really like that, that like, it struck me that like, yeah, we, we've been playing cover worship songs for like the, our whole lives. Where do you think that leads us though? Like what would an Asian American experience kind of uh, influencing into our worship? Like what would that look like stylistically, even lyrically too? Because I think, yeah, I totally agree with everything being said, but I'm like, I don't know if it's me not knowing because we've been seeing cover songs for so long, but like what would that look like? Well, at least stylistically, you know, something that um, I've always believed in um, and something that I'm very proud of the musicians at our church for is that we've never been the kind of worship ministry where we try to play something like the album, um, mm -hmm. you know, where, you know, I, I've been a, a part of a lot of different bands where they'll send you the album version and they'll say, learn it like this. Don't stray from this. I want you to play that lead line. I want you to play that bass line, that drum part. I want you to sing it like this. And we've been very intentional about never doing that, you know. And of course, sometimes we'll use, um, we'll use the lead line, we'll use you know, the motifs in the song. But um, one thing we encourage all of our musicians to do is express their own voice uh, in, in the arrangement. You know, what do you, you know, what do you feel like would go well? And so a lot of the versions and arrangements that we do of songs actually turn out very differently. And I, and I think that that's a start. You know, that's actually giving people permission to say, hey, it doesn't have to be played that way. Um, what do you feel? Or like, you know, and sometimes it's as simple as like, this song is like 
a fast, upbeat, celebratory song. But for some reason, when we read the lyrics, we feel a certain way. And it's actually like the lyrics are kind of heavy for us. Hey, let's make it a slow, mellow, you know, let's change the time signature and make it change it from 4-4 to 3-4. Let's do things stylistically that is infusing our voice and our experience into it. And I think this goes back to what Tom is saying, because when you as the worship leaders and as the worship band, when you're embodying a song and you're feeling now what the song is trying to convey, I think you can be that much more effective. Um, Yeah. But don't you think so? That's probably one thing that's needed. But I find that you the only way you could do that or even to find that unique voice is if you have time for that and if your church even cares and prioritizes that, which is often seen in what do you invest in the worship leader? And I see like in a lot of Asian American churches, that's it's oftentimes a volunteer. It's not a worship pastor. Yes. And so you can't, ex- you know, I think those chords and the reason why you, I don't, I'm not a musician, so I don't know, but you follow the to the T because that's the simplest to de- develop your own distinct voice that takes time and creativity and you need space for that collaboration for that you need that kind of a coordinator to even organize that but if all these churches are not investing in their worship team then you're not going to have that type of space i mean it's kind of pro- like that's it's seen most profoundly when i look at retreats like how much do churches compensate the guest speaker and how much do they compensate the praise guest praise team that comes which is crazy because the without the praise you lose, you can't have worship. Like the entire retreat is gone. But the compensation for, you know, the honorarium you give to the guest speaker is like way, like when I give compensation to the praise leader, they're just like, oh my gosh, you gave me compensation. I'm like, of course. But even the compensation we give is so small. And I realized like that's actually a microcosm of how I think a lot of Asian churches view praise. They don't make that a huge thing. Uh, it's only, yeah. And even like people who come to worship, the main theme is the I come for the sermon it's not about the praise and I don't know if that's true of other churches but in Asian American churches there's not a lot of invested into the worship team to even allow that space for someone to make that their gig and to help creativity come out for music yeah a hundred percent I mean I and I can tell you having been like worn the hat of a worship leader for so many years and now um stepping into this role it's such a it's such a stark difference in in terms of how much churches invest um in yeah in pastors and and not really in worship leaders and worship ministries and i think that that but in in it's it sucks because we still expect you know them to produce uh, you know incredible stuff and we just assume that that's gonna come out of thin air when we're not actually investing in our teams. Everything you said, I totally, both of you guys, like I'm, I'm fully on board with. And I think the bigger even problem is the idea of creativity and arts in the church, in the, especially in the Asian American church, is just non-existent. Like, and, but that stuff matters. Like when I walk into a, so at GLMC, the church that Tom and I used to be at, nothing against the church we were at, but when I walked in, it was green carpets with a blue sky wallpaper. And I was like, this that is, does that not, is not, that's not our church anymore, but <laughs> yeah, it's not. And I was like, when I walked in, I was like, this does not make me want to worship. Like even aesthetically how the room looks, I think even how your graphics look, like the fact that designers hey, are a church, but that's in that shallow. Not. That's, that's not theological, bro. Why, how do you, that's seen as like a, 
Hey, man, if you read Genesis <laughs> 1, it's like, how can it not be? You know? Hey, remember the, I, the first people filled with the Spirit in the book of Exodus, they were artists. Exactly. They were, they were artists, the first people who had the Holy Spirit in them. God yeah. cares about the aesthetics. Yeah, like, I think, I don't know if it's going too far, but I think even having artists in residence at churches, like musicians, whatever it may be, like, I think that's key to like fostering what we're talking about. I think if we don't do that, then we can't even kind of articulate our experience as Asian American Christians and Asian Americans itself. That like, because there's a lack of creativity in our churches, I often think Asian Americans that grew up in the church, they don't know how to express who they are because it's like, no, to be me, I believe in the Bible. Um, I don't do drugs. I don't have sex before marriage. And that's who I am. That doesn't like, that doesn't espouse who you truly are as a person and as a Christian too. Obviously, I think all of us are operating under the assumption that only the Holy Spirit has the power to transform a person's heart, that these things aren't the main thing. But I, I will say that to disregard them it, it is, in my opinion, irresponsible. And actually, mm -hmm. I don't think that, um, you know, I actually think it is, it, it shows a lack of care um, to our communities. You know, I think about um, Paul saying, you know, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. You know, we live in a culture that is so aesthetically driven, you know, where people are constantly being bombarded with like amazing, incredible art and images, Exactly. you know, and, and so like, I don't understand why, why we would not give the same time, care and effort um, to those things in the church. But if you don't invest in that or like allow space for it to happen, there will be no creativity. And if you don't allow creativity, then there's going to be people who, you just emulate. You just have to emulate because you don't have time or space for that's, creativity. That's why to we're work. cover artists. Yes. Kind of. Yeah. That's why there's no Asian voice because uh, Asian culture, Asian American culture, for some reason, it seems like that's not the priority in the local church. The worship aspect, the praise, it's a volunteer thing only. Even when you look at the arts now, like, and kind of borrowing from Charles Taylor, who's a philosopher, like, they're screaming for spirituality into their lives, right? Like, Justin Bieber recently, I'm not a big fan of him, but like, he's gone through a lot of stuff. And his songs recently, if you don't know, like, look up the song Lonely and Holy, and he performed those both at SNL. So and, good, so good. Yeah, and I was like, this dude like is crying out literally for Jesus. And like people in the arts are doing the same thing. There's a song called, I've been harking on this too long. So if you're in my church, you know this, but there's a song called I Still Talk to Jesus by Laney, like a big pop rock band. But that whole, that whole song's about how they grew up in church. And like, I've been doing cocaine, I've been having sex with people, but I still need to talk to Jesus because I know I need it. So I wish like, it's such, it's not just a way that we can worship, which is important, but it's a way to witness that we're kind of missing out on to kind of end on a more positive and hopeful note like what given all that what are some encouragements or ideas or hopes that you guys have that you wish you would see in our church circles and our asian american church culture that our worship teams can grow into maybe practices maybe habits what do you guys think i think there's a lot of potential i mean i think um people are good like the praise bands are good like when mm -hmm. i visit churches they're like, wow, they know how to play. Um, the only thing I feel like, you know, I, I wish there could be that space where they could even be more creative. And I think that's, it's bigger than just the praise team. It's the whole church culture and the leaders and what they're investing in. But I feel like it's not for a lack of talent, 
nor is it uh, a lack of even desire because when I talk to people who are into music like they're into it but it seems like they almost separate the type of music they do for like their own personal self-expression versus what they do for like church and I feel like you could open and connect those two a little bit more uh, because they have the gifting they have the talent and I feel like something's going to happen where that's going to be unleashed somehow uh, during this next however this Mm -hmm. next generation so that's encouraging to me and it's not because again a lack of desire or lack of ability so that's really cool yeah Jason I'll let you have the last word because you have the most influential and heaviest and the backing to to comment on that but um going off of what Tom said I think there is something to be unlocked and I wish pastors would stop using creatives and start platforming and allowing them to be creative Hmm. so for example like you know, I, I'm an associate and I'm kind of like, I love, I'm not a creative at all, but I just love art at heart. And, you know, I realize like how much pastors just like, hey, I know you're a graphic arts. Can you make me a poster real quick about like our, our missions fundraiser coming up? And that's the only time they contact and talk to them. Right. And they have a full time job. Like they're trying, you know, designers are struggling to make it. And they're just like, hey, can you hit this deadline, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I wish, you know, that that's of course part of church, but I also wish with designers, with the worship team, with any creative that churches and pastors would give space to kind of let them be creative and a platform too, which creatives are dying for. Like I remember Jason mentioned in episode two when we're growing up in the church, like for Asian Americans, there's not a lot of places where you can perform um, or et cetera. And I wish, I don't know what that looks like, you know, maybe not just cafe nights, but like, yeah, I wish... You know, if there's an artist at your church, like, can you maybe buy their art and hang it somewhere in your facility, you know, um, for your worship teams? Can you set up time that like for your t- church, not for worship practice, but for them just to jam, to record like studio time for free, et cetera. Um, yeah, I just I just wish the churches would allow creatives to be creative at the same time while using their gifting to the church alongside that, too. Yeah. And to go along with what Eugene just said. Um, I think allowing creatives to be creatives, I think a lot of people interpret that as, okay, so we need to either put more creatives on staff or bring more creatives on the team. But I I think it's not just creating programs and throwing money at creatives, but it's also, um, and, and Eugene referenced this, it's allowing creatives to be creatives. And that's always sometimes difficult because we manage we try to manage creatives like we would manage everyone else and that's not the way creatives always operate and so i think um you know what creatives do is so special but you have to be willing to love them the way they need to be loved and you need to kind of charge them and empower them the way that you know, they are best empowered. So that would be my first thing. Um, Second thing would be, you know, I do think that the church right now is uh, in the middle of like, it just feels like the church, it finds itself in the middle of this crazy battle, uh, whether it's um, the church versus the culture, whether it's in the middle of a culture that is severely divided. It just feels like, it's a war zone out there as well. And, you know, one thing I would want to encourage everyone who serves in any worship capacity with is, you know, I think there's a reason why uh, in the Bible, God always puts the singers on the front lines uh, of the battle, right? Like it's so, 
interesting and it, it's it's really counterintuitive. Um, but when when um, he sends his people into battle, he always puts the worshippers on the front lines. And I think um, it's hinting at the fact that the the greatest weapon in the battle that is life and the greatest weapon in the battle that is just living in our current day and age is worship. And I think anyone who serves in a worship capacity every week can, you know, should take that mindset uh, into whatever it is they're doing, understanding that they're really giving people probably the greatest weapon they will have um, to face the trials of this life. Yeah, so don't just sign in to the sermon, man. We see you sign in during praise <laughs> on Zoom and on. We, we see you guys, man. And don't sign out right after this. Yeah, sermon, man. Hey, dude, you need you need the song. So come on, guys. Yeah, that come worship on. leader is grinding making that video. Come on, come on, stream yeah, on, dude. Hey, we see we see you. <laughs> well, hey, thanks for listening. Uh, we would love it if you take some time just to share any of the episodes that we have, any of the content that we have. If you can subscribe, um, rate us on Apple Podcasts, uh, we'd be extremely grateful for that. Um, so yeah we're really excited for our next episode with Jonathan Lehman we hope you can tune in and we hope we can see you next episode thanks for listening